nice. Man. So Silk. it's like a it's, yeah. it's like a tractor <laughs> supply, but also with groceries. Yeah, yeah. You can get I think literally everything there because it's like <laughs> the only store within fifty miles. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So I and I, as always, I was tempted to buy the meat, but I didn't. I didn't buy a meat box. <laughs> I I feel like I would definitely be tempted to buy a meat box out of a meat truck if I did a meat truck remote. And these were the like I I did a meat truck remote or two in Jackson and like the fillets that they were selling like twenty fillets for twenty dollars like they look like hamburgers yeah I'm like that, those aren't fillets what are you talking about <laughs> like these, these are but not like these these are not top quality cuts of meat sir yeah yeah I was like I, I don't know what animal this fillet came from but it wasn't mignon. <laughs> It's, you know, it's definitely not um, a cow. Yeah. Uh, and these were like, I think they were like eight. What was their deal? I don't know. Eight New York strips for 20 bucks or something like that. I don't know. But I and they looked good. Like they actually looked good. But I didn't still didn't didn't bite. Didn't bite down onto the steak. I did not bite into a frozen <laughs> steak. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, speaking of biting into a frozen steak, I, I guess it, it didn't happen like from biting something hard. But my tooth is killing me. Uh, I went to the dentist um, three weeks ago, and they told me, hey, yeah, one of your fillings is uh, is kind of cracked. Do you have any, like, pain or sensitivity mm. in there? And I was like, no, not really. It's not that bad. And they got me in um, two weeks later to replace the filling. I upgraded from a silver to a, a white filling, so you really can't tell that it's there. Mm. And I tell you what, now it's so sensitive and anytime I chew oh. anything on it, it hurts like a motherfucker. Like, I, I don't know what Jeez. happened. I, I'm I'm going back in tomorrow, and it'll be my third time in the dentist in a month. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. yeah. So they made it worse. <laughs> they made it worse. They made it hurt. Like, no, I was fine Jeez. before. <laughs> I bet... Um... You know that that sounds shady to me. Like uh, it sounds very mechanicish. Like, you know, like, oh yeah, don't worry, we can fix your car. And then you start driving it, and like twelve things break on it. You're like, all right, what happened? I mean, I've I've been going to them for uh, for a couple of years now, and th- this is the the mm. only issue I've ever had. And what alley are they in? No, I'm just <laughs> uh, God. So so yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> Get getting numbed up again. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I gotta um I gotta find a dentist. It's been I've been here a year, which means it's been over a year since <laughs> I've been to the dentist. <laughs> it took me um it took me about uh what? I've only been going to them for these guys for three years. And before that I was in uh Erie for six years. But before I mm-hmm. before I found a dentist, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it usually takes me a while to find a, a dentist, especially, you know, considering the fact that a lot of them were closed recently. Mm-hmm, but true. I just got new, you know, the, not just got the new insurance, but, you know, when I did get on the new insurance, that's a whole, you got to find the person that takes it and all that junk, um, which I guess is pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we get, should, <laughs> yeah, we can get going. Should we get going? Okay. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And I don't know what's up with our connection today, but it sounded like you exploded when you were saying, it's a show about one thing, and there was like a pop (laughs) and a a fizzle. And I was like, Ted, did you spontaneously combust? (laughs) I didn't. Really weird. I didn't catch that. It might, that must have just been on your end. I think it was just, yeah, I think it's just in between, yeah, somewhere in the tubes, like, it was, it sounded really weird. It's a show up on thing. Oh, uh, Ted's gone. Oh, Oh. shit. It's a show about one thing, spontaneous combustion of one of the co-hosts. Spontaneous combustion. We finally did it. Um, Yeah, and today we will be talking about season seven, episode five, the hot tub. But before that, we do have uh, some trivia and some homework from the previous episode, which was the wink. Uh, One thing we wanted to know was why does Jerry, when he finds out that Holly, Elaine's cousin, doesn't respect him for ordering a salad when they went out to the steakhouse, um, he's like, oh, it's like a quiche thing. And Elaine says, yeah, something like that. Thanks to a Mr. Snowman as well for pointing this out. But that joke referred to the book Real Men Don't Eat Quiche, which was a best-selling <laughs> tongue-in-cheek book satirizing stereotypes of masculinity by an American screenwriter and humorist named Bruce Firestein, and it was published in 1982. So it was already a 13-year-old joke by the point. <laughs> oh, my um, God. <laughs> the book was on the New York Times bestseller list, though, for all of 1982 and beyond 55 weeks and sold over 1.6 million copies. 
Jeez, okay. And here's the weird thing about Bruce Firestein. He went on to write the three James Bond movies that starred Bruce Bru- Pierce Brosnan. Oh, uh, I was going to say Bruce Willis. Yeah, no, GoldenEye, <laughs> Tomorrow Never Dies, and The World Is Not Enough. Okay. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that the guy who wrote a book satirizing masculinity went on to write, you know, these super masculine <laughs> movies. You know, James Bond himself is like kind of a stereotype of masculinity, you know, yeah. like sleeping with beautiful women around the world and the shooting and driving and all that stuff. So it, it kind of like, he probably wrote them as a satire, but they were played for, <laughs> not for irony. You know what I mean? They, they, they were played for the, the crowd that buys into that 100% not not even in a yeah, tongue-in-cheek yeah. way <laughs> like man this yeah, this I, is I, the this is the life i gotta get an aston martin uh i only drink martinis and i only sleep with women with puns as names yeah <laughs> yeah i have a feeling that uh, you know it, he probably wrote it like he was like i'm just gonna go as over the top <laughs> you know dumb guy with this as i can and then it, it obviously worked <laughs> golden is one of my favorite bond movies though and honestly pierce brosnan he really got a raw deal with the bond movies that he got because i i stand by golden being a great movie but tomorrow never dies and the world is not enough are are not that great mm. but um you know pierce brosnan is my favorite bond after sean connery you know i i don't think i've ever seen a bond movie the full way through i've seen like clips mm. Um, I tried to watch uh, Casino Royale and like start the Daniel Craig saga and -hmm. the DVD I got was like corrupted and I bought it like from a store, you know, Ah. so, so that kind of sucked. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, really. So I, I tried or was Casino Royale his, his first movie. Yeah, I want to say okay. it was because it was sort of like a reboot of the Bond franchise, and that was, I think, the first Bond mo- like book or movie or something like that. Okay, so yeah, so I tried to watch Casino Royale, then I watched Quantum of Solace, and then I fell asleep during it. Ah, uh, yeah, they they can get kind of long, but um, and Daniel Craig's a, a great Bond too. Like, well, he's you know, um, he, I, the the one coming up. He's going on his fifth movie, isn't he? Or is yeah, this his sixth? Yeah. And he's the guy who's he's a very Larry David ish Bond because he keeps saying like, "This is my last one. This is definitely my last one." <laughs> and I think it's because each one is so unbelievably exhausting, and he's like, "All right, they, you know, I'm I'm not going to do another one after this because it's always right after it, it, the press tour for the movie that's coming out." He's like, "Yeah, this is going to be my last one," and then I'm sure then he recovers and they back another dump truck full of money up to his house and he's like all right fine i'll do it you know i'll do another one well it, but it's just it's, like larry david at the end of every season of curb your enthusiasm you think this is the last one well it's it's that first dump truck that he's like you know i i think i'm still i think i'm still gonna retire then they back up the second <laughs> dump truck and then he's like oh you guys drive a hard bargain <laughs> yeah I, I mean no time to die is gonna be great and um skyfall was amazing and yeah i've liked all the daniel craig ones i mean he's he's quickly he's probably gonna surpass pierce brosnan eventually just because of the quality of the movies that he's in but i'm also fine with daniel craig making more what was it knives out oh yeah uh, movies. <laughs> yeah whatever whatever his character is in there i know they're they're you know making that into a franchise as well um so the number of times uh steinbrenner who of course is played by larry david uh, voiced over by larry david he says billy martin at the end of the episode at talking about all the people he's had to fire over the years and he says billy martin three times and that's a reference to the fact that uh, the former Yankees manager was given a multitude of second chances, mostly due to his fiery temper. So check this out. This is Billy. Billy Martin like worked for the Yankees in a, in a lot of capacity, but this is just as manager. So he was hired in 1975, and he butted heads with Steinbrenner and Reggie Jackson. So they got Reggie Jackson, this huge star, and you know his, the ego was there, and Steinbrenner was protecting Reggie Jackson. So he Billy Martin resigned. Or was forced out in 1978 before essentially they were going to fire him and he resigned for health reasons so that they would have to pay out his contract. Mm-hmm. So that was in, in 78. So three years. Then he was rehired in 1979. He got into a fight with a marshmallow salesman at a hotel in Minneapolis <laughs> and he was fired five days later. <laughs> <laughs> then he was rehired in January of 1983, and he would remain on the Yankees payroll for the rest of his life at this point. But hired as manager in, in, in January of 83, fired in December of 83, rehired six, 16 games later after the first of the year in 84. In September of 1985, he gets in a fight with a Yankees pitcher at a hotel in Baltimore. So, yes, his own player, they get in a fist fight. So he was then he was fired the next month in 1985, October of 85, rehired in 1988. In May of 1988, he gets in a fight at a nightclub in Dallas. In June of 1988, he's fired. 
Uh, and then he became special advisor to Steinbrenner, though in practice he really had no duties and, and rarely even visited New York City. Uh, Steinbrenner blew through two more managers and told Martin to wait by the phone if Bucky Dent couldn't hack it in 1990. So he was probably going to be rehired again in 1990. But uh, Martin was still special consultant to Steinbrenner when he was killed in a low-speed single-vehicle accident on Christmas Day in 1989. Uh. His vehicle ran into a drainage culvert near the entrance of the driveway to his farm, uh, just north of Binghamton, New York. And there's some uh, discrepancy as to who was driving, either a buddy of his or him. But all in all, he had five stints with the Yankees and was <laughs> going on his sixth before he, his untimely death. He, he was waiting on the call for so, his sixth. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So it, it's that joke is now really funny to me. Like, I, I really, <laughs> I really enjoy. I'm glad I know the story behind that joke. Like, Billy Martin, Bucky Den. Billy Martin. Yeah, I I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and also the temper on this dude, like he couldn't go out without getting in a fist fight. <laughs> I wonder like what, what about him made Steinbrenner like keep bringing him back? <laughs> I know. Well, the Yankees crowd loved him. <laughs> they say that um they say that um when he was when one of those times when he was rehired, they announced it on like uh, old timers day or something like that. It was some like preseason game or something like that. And they was like, Oh, and, and, and Billy Martin is going to be the manager again. And he came out and said, hi. And, and the round of applause they say was bigger than, or as big as when Lou Gehrig announced his retirement, Wow, um, which is, you know, the, I, today I consider myself the luckiest man in the world, whatever, like that famous speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the guy's like, you know, Lou's might've been longer, but Bucky's was louder or something like that. One of the announcers said, or something like that. So yeah, I think that the the fans just really loved him, and he I guess he got results, but you know his temper was was mostly what held him back. <laughs> Man, I just realized you know who's gonna love this intro is Cat because it's just all baseball talk. <laughs> well, I got more baseball talk if, oh, if you want. Oh God, okay. So during the closing scene, we know uh, George Steinbrenner runs through the names of Yankee managers he had to let go, and, and he ends by saying Buck Showalter, and then goes, oh, but you didn't hear, hear that from me, George, because Buck Showalter is the manager at the time. Buck Showalter was fired as Yankees manager two weeks after this episode aired. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then uh, Show Walter would later become manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Oh my god. But he wasn't brought back as yeah. many times as Billy Martin was. I don't think so. I don't think he was brought back at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, and then a, a, a little bit more baseball trivia here. The scene with Paul O'Neill was the first scene filmed for the seventh season. Even though we were four episodes in, this was the first scene filmed because the Yankees were in town playing the Angels. You know, it's not filmed in New York City. They're in L.A. So when the Yankees the Yankees happen to be in town and they're like, oh, we can get one of the players, got Paul O'Neill, uh, while they were in town to play the Angels. Jeez. All right. Um, <laughs> this was uh, pointed out on a couple of pages that I found, uh, you know, like websites that I looked at. And it was also tweeted to us by my neighbor, John. And I don't put a lot of stock in it. But supposedly, James's telephone voice, so the Wake Up Guy's telephone voice, was actually future Game of Thrones star Peter Dinklage. I saw that. This. And I'm yeah. Did you do any research on it? Because I'm really not sure if I buy it, and I'm really filing it under bullshit until I get actually Peter Dinklage saying yes, it was me. <laughs> uh, I mean, listening back to it and thinking of Peter Dinklage's voice, I can hear it. Um, I did look at that article that he tweeted us as well, and I I don't know. Uh, what site that was? I, let, let me let me just check. It was like uh, a Yahoo site, and I and I saw it too. It's like seven Seinfeld cameos you didn't know about, and then the first one's Peter Dinklage being the thing. But the thing is, it just it doesn't really source anything. Yeah. And the only source for that is the trivia section of this episode on IMDb, and so it's sort of like circular, unconfirmed sources. It's like oh, the Yahoo references the IMDb, but the IMDb doesn't have a source, and it's like all of these people just kind of point back to this one page, and it's like it's not on. On Peter Dinklage's IMDb, it's not on his Wikipedia page. Mm. It's um, yeah. So I, I, I'm really not putting any stock into it until we actually get some spoken confirmation from Peter Dinklage, him saying like, "Oh yeah, that was my first uncredited role was the voice of the guy." You know, it just seems like a weird thing to you know. It, it sounds like James's voice just as much as it could be Peter Dinklage to me. It does, and you know what, Tim? Unfortunately, Peter Dinklage is not on Cameo, so we can't ask him ourselves. Ah. He'd be a good, that'd be a good, he needs the cash now that Game of Thrones is gone, you know? I think he's made his money. I think he's okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it would be great. Uh, I, uh, that'd be a, that'd be an expense. That'd be a pricey cameo. He may not be uh, Jason Alexander, but he'd be at least five hundred bucks. I would say. Oh, easily, easily. Yeah, that's an easy five hundred. Uh, Bobby, the sick kid in the hospital, is played by Thomas Decker. That's the same kid Mickey used to stand in for on All My Children back in season five, episode sixteen. Whoa! So I don't know why Kramer didn't recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either that, or it's uh, you know completely different. You know, he's a completely different character as we've seen. You know, plenty of actors do on Seinfeld. <laughs> they just needed another kid. <laughs> Um, Kramer promising Bobby the home runs is based on Babe Ruth telling a hospitalized kid named Johnny Sylvester that he would knock one out for him during the 1926 World Series. Don't know if Sylvester asked for it like Bobby does or if it had been the idea of his father or uncle as an effort to lift his spirits. Babe Ruth sent a package that included two baseballs, one autographed by the Yankees, the other by the Cardinals, and inscribed on the ball was a note from Ruth that read, I'll knock a homer for you on Wednesday, uh, which was game four of the series. And Ruth went on to hit three home runs in that game, but the Yankees still lost that World Series in seven. And this event was portrayed in the 1942 film Pride of the Yankees, starring uh, Gary Cooper as Babe Ruth. And I think that's all the trivia that I have. All right. Did we have any news or anything? Well, we do have to mention that I meant to mention this last week uh, because it happened back on September 17th. But Robert Gore, a chemical engineer whose failed lab experience with a polymer led unwittingly to the invention of Gore-Tex, the versatile waterproof material used in ski jackets loved by one George Costanza. Uh, also used in aortic stent grafts and spacesuits, uh, Robert Gore died of cancer on September 17th at his vacation home no! in Cecil County, Maryland no! at the age of 83. That's right. Oh, well, okay. I mean, it, it's still very sad, but... It, it, <laughs> it is very sad. It, it's, and I don't know if we can take credit because the Gore-Tex episode was season five, episode 13, the dinner party. <laughs> so I don't know if we can take... And I say take credit. I guess I should take, take blame. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we can take credit for killing him. I, I think you could blame this show for a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, my, my lack of sleep, the founder of Gore-Tex dying, you know, all, all those things. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Um, okay, one so, R.I.P. Robert Gore. One other bit of news. Uh, your boys were on the donut bag this uh, this past week. Um, I think the episode came out Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, so if you do not listen to the donut bag, check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. We talked all about George Costanza, our, our favorite George moments, like George episodes. It's just pretty much all about George, uh, Joey bag of donuts reached out to us and he's like, hey, yeah, I want to do an episode all about George. I'm like, sure, that sounds like an easy hour. <laughs> there's there's literally <laughs> yeah. a lot to unpack about George. Yes, yeah, it was it was kind of nice to collect it all in one place and talk just about one character. You know, <laughs> I mean, we, we danced around a little bit, but, um, you know, what George is, is, has become, at least to me, one of the most interesting aspects of the show and, like, arguably, I mean, you could, you could make the case that George is the main character of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, like, you could make I mean, that Jerry's case. Adventures I don't know if anybody so would agree with you. Inconsequential. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it seems like he's sort of the if Jerry's like the center of the universe, which I would argue maybe even isn't even the case. Like George is just the most interesting character out of out of everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's <laughs> Um, and, and that's one thing that I was, I've been finding while we, we've been doing our podcast. So it was great to sort of collect all those thoughts into one place and, and discuss them in a forum. So yeah, check out the donut bag. Cause that was a blast. Yeah. And you can listen to that at the link in our description. I don't know. I'll, I'll edit that out if I don't put it in. Um, I'm being ambitious here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you can say that and, and it won't be true. Just like, uh, send us a DM on Twitter. <laughs> oh, hell. So... <laughs> Is, is that is that real? Has have people not been able to DM us this entire time? I have no idea. God, I'm so upset with myself. Uh, well, I, I guess while we're while we're giving shoutouts, shout out to Katie Steinberg who reached out to us on Twitter, who said, "Fun fact: Adults dry clean their clothes regularly, and we usually go to the same place. They know our names, and if we live in apartments without a washing machine, we drop off our regular laundry too." So that solves our our quandary into how many people are actually dry cleaning their clothes. But also, I asked Katie, I'm like, oh, yeah, DM us your address. We'll send you a sticker. Thanks for listening. And she's like, how do I do that? I think you have to follow me. I'm like, do I, do I have the button turned off? <laughs> I think I've had the button turned off the entire run of our show. So I, <laughs> I, I turned it on. I turned something on. 
Um, if you have any issues, <laughs> if you have any issues DMing us, please uh, just tweet us or or email us. Get get in touch with us somehow. Don't don't let the DM feature stop you. Don't let that be your barrier of entry into getting a free <laughs> no hugging no learning sticker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. God. Um, yeah, and, and I'm I'm guessing that she is a New Yorker, so I'm excited for her to be listening to this. It seems like it seems like she started DMing us or, or not DMing us, but but tweeting at us around episode around season two because her first tweet to us was, "OMG, you guys are terrifying me. A pony is not a baby horse. A filly is any female horse." And JFK was assassinated in 1963, not the late 50s. And these are the kind of tweets that I live for doing this <laughs> show because. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's just the kind of interaction that I've been looking for. You know, people yes. answering these questions that we have every <laughs> now and then, or just being disappointed in our lack of knowledge about <laughs> world events before we were born. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just being disappointed in the whole show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, it seems like she is a New Yorker because her because uh, Brooklyn is part of her um, Twitter handle. And so we have a lot of questions that I'm hoping that she can answer. Like, you know, when you move, do you just mail your stuff to the next apartment that you go to like uh, that one guy did and lost all of his stuff to <laughs> Newman? Uh, things like that, you know, our, our New York questions. Like, is this a New York thing? And yeah, I would say dry cleaning is one of those things that has gone by that. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll use a think piece hacky line and say dry cleaning is one of the things millennials are, is killing. Millennials are killing. Oh, my God. You know, like chain restaurants Get and dry out cleaning. Of because here. I, I for sure I for sure don't dry clean anything. My wife doesn't dry clean anything. And we're, we're adults. I've used a dry cleaner once in the last five years. Yeah. Like when I wear my suit to a wedding or whatever, like that'll get dry cleaned. You know, I, when I she still, has a nice dress. I still haven't dry cleaned my wedding tux. And that's over a you year bought, ago now. You bought a tux? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not a tux, but oh. it's a it's a uh, modern fit suit that I uh, got on sale. Uh-huh. Um, but it was a uh, custom oh, nice. fit and everything. It was nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if I do have to dry clean something, yeah, it, it sits forever in like. Like on a hanger in a closet oh, somewhere. Yeah. Like, oh, that's my dry cleaning pile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get to it one of these days. It will... It's like it's like the Goodwill, but like bags in your trunk. You know, like I'm gonna donate those one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna drop those off. Totally, totally. One of these days. Yeah. So, so thanks for tweeting at us. Keep it up. And I guess that's it as far as news and tidbits and stuff. Okay. We are not a research-heavy show, despite the last 28 minutes being uh, nothing but like research uh, on previous episodes, but. I'm watching these episodes for the first time ever. Tim is watching these episodes for the first time in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss something, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, just like Gurabo3 did. This review titled No Hugging, No Learning Chronicles. And he said, very entertaining, making me go back and watch again. Thank you, Garabo3. Uh, if you, uh, if you yeah. email us or DM us your mailing address, we'll hook you up with a holographic NHNL sticker. Um, you can also leave the review anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, anywhere that accepts reviews. Um, just uh, send us a screenshot if you want. If you just want a sticker, just hit our DMs or email. I literally do not care. I'll send out a sticker to anybody at, at this point. <laughs> With that being said, Season 7, Episode 5, The Hot Tub. Original air date, October 19th, 1995. I was two years, nine months, and 29 days old. And Tim, if you count this episode and every other episode we have left, we have 62 episodes before we become a... I, I mean, we touched on this at the very beginning, and then it didn't really, like pan out into fruition i think we have to become a podcast on spontaneous combustion <laughs> yeah yeah try to we'll try to make it happen every week we'll just sit here and go <laughs> and try to make ourselves explode spontaneously <laughs> it, burst into flames it's just going to be called a uh, spontaneous combustion or fart and you just have to determine <laughs> like which it actually was yeah which in and of itself is, is kind of a spontaneous combustion <laughs> oh good lord okay um so okay uh if you're looking at tv guide the night of october 19th you are gonna see elaine's house guest arrives for the city's marathon semicolon kramer gets a hot tub i kind of like it well i don't know if we can make it better but we can try uh we'll do that at the end and we start with a stand-up bit and this is one of my favorite seinfeld bits of all time and i think it even translated very well because sometimes those do not translate when 
they're put in this format of like he has to chop a lot out to make them fit into the allotted time and also the canned laughter of the fake audience and all that stuff but i thought this one was translated very well and it's about the silver medal and how you know it must be just you know awful you train your whole life you know and and then it's like oh how much did you lose by and he's specifically talking about sprinters but there's a lot of events that could be like this you know it's like it was from from like from like they're there from like from like no no no, that was it it was we run it was like i just love uh his little reenacting of whatever race like it was like it was like oh i i i trained my whole life i never went on a date and then it was over i just got a silver medal you know i I really like this bit uh we open at monks and was this this was a new exterior shot i'd never seen this before it was like sunset or dusk or something yeah it was um it was a lot more beige than than we've seen before yeah, and Jerry is is reading? Yeah, and uh, we get much better <laughs> oh. quality ADR in this. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't Was know. Was it before they like entered Monks or something? It, it's, it's before they entered Monks, and it matches uh. the tone of what he's saying and how he's saying it inside the restaurant. It's great. <laughs> yeah, Jerry's reading the J. Peterman catalog, which is really small and for sure has black and white drawings, just like we'd heard. And it's like pamphlet size, like the J. Peterman catalog is the size of like a, an instruction manual that you'd get with, you know, a stereo or something. It's like really small. It, it was, it's just it's still just a, a baffling business model to me that they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they're kind of chuckling at it with Elaine because she writes all this weird, you know, poetic kind of stuff to advertise whatever they were talking about. Um, George is... You know, his job's going very well because the season hasn't started yet, so there's not a lot of work to do, but he's still pretending he's busy. And, uh, you know, this is he got the big promotion in the last episode, Mr. Morgan's old job, and he looks busy by looking annoyed. And he does an example, and, it, and it's true. He, he looks busy just, oh, God, like just nodding his head and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, and it's really working. Elaine, meanwhile, is hosting Jean-Paul Jean-Paul, who is a marathon runner, and he's coming to do the New York Marathon. He overslept at the Olympics, and this is his first race in three years. I like that um, Jerry's like, he's from uh, Trinidad and Tobago, right? And Elaine's like, yeah, he's Trinidadian and Toboggan. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what do you say if you're from Trinidad and Tobago? Do you pick one if you're know. Toboggan? Like, if you're from that island, do you say... Um, I guess I don't know, maybe we have to. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find some work on this. Yeah, I, or, yeah, I'm, try and do some homework on this. I'm interested in that as well. I, I would guess that you just pick one, right? Because it it is two islands, correct? I believe so. Yeah, but they're one, two islands, but one nation, and they just couldn't decide on one name, so so they went with both. I don't know. I I can't think of another island. I can't think of another nation that's like this that has. Oh wait, what's that one? Um, it was just it was coming to me. There's another one with a long name. Anyway, I can't I, I can't think of it. No, it's not going to come to me. Okay. But yeah, we'll have to see what you call somebody from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, and Elaine is responsible for waking him up, and he overslept the last time. And so, um, she Jerry tries tries to convince her that, and Elaine's like, no, he's just she's, he's just coming to stay at my place, and that's you know I'm not responsible for waking him up. But <laughs> Jerry seems to think that she is. Uh, Judy comes in, a woman from Elaine's building, and she has a baby. And Jerry goes, oh, I didn't know she was married. And Elaine goes, Oh, she's not. Uh, but you know. Don't tell anyone. What was uh? And what was Jerry's the like, reason that he thought she was married? The stroller? The fact that she has a baby. You know, an unmarried okay. woman with a baby. I guess. Okay. Yeah, it's still something that you assume about. You know, even though it's 2020 now, I think, especially in '95, you would assume a woman with a baby is married. Okay. Or at least has a. I don't know her situation. And George leaves, and and he, uh, you know, and looks annoyed. He might have even left before this scene. <laughs> Uh, before Judy came in, and uh, but I like that Elaine's like, oh, don't tell anyone. And, Elaine, and Jerry's like, who am I going to tell? She's like, I know, but it's something you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Over at Yankee Stadium, uh, Wilhelm comes in and he gives George a bunch of budget numbers. And uh, George, before Wilhelm came in, was like dealing with a fly, and so that's one thing that made him look really annoyed. And then Wilhelm comes in and he he looks even more annoyed. And as Wilhelm's leaving, George picks up the budget numbers and starts hitting the fly with them. And Wilhelm just looks in and he's like, oh boy, just George is so stressed <laughs> out about this job over in the apartment uh jerry's apartment superman is still on the bookshelf and the fridge still tracking it in season seven there it is uh (laughs) jerry and george are discussing the alarm situation and you know what happened what do you think happened with uh jean paul jean paul one of them says it was probably the am pm george i think was like am pm which is which can screw you up you know Mm -hmm. especially in a a hotel or something like that uh and i forget what jerry thought it was uh jerry thought it was the the snooze jerry thought it was the snooze the snooze yeah 
hit the snooze and it never came back on. I, that that can happen too. I totally agree with that. Kramer comes in and says that, oh, he doesn't use alarm clocks. He has a mental alarm. He just sets it for, for a woman <laughs> and he always wakes up. And he's filling up a hot tub that he bought. Uh, over in Monks, Jerry and Elaine and Jean-Paul uh, are kind of meeting and coming in. And, and Jerry, he, he just, you know, it's like, it's this happens all the time with people i feel like it was pretty relatable like there's only one thing you know about them and it's and you don't want to really bring it up but it's the only piece of conversation that you have and so jerry's like sorry about the olympics (laughs) and And even though it was you know four it was three years ago at this point yeah as soon as jean paul sits down too jerry's just like so what was it (laughs) it was the snooze it was the snooze what happened and uh and And he's like no it wasn't the snooze am pm He's like, no, everyone thinks it was the snooze. It was the volume. <laughs> yeah. I, the radio alarm had a separate knob for the alarm as opposed to the radio. And Jean Paul's like, why? Why separate knob? And Jerry's like, well, you know, some people like to listen to the radio at a different volume than the alarm. And he like gives him a look. I, like, yeah. I have fallen victim to this before. I have set uh, an alarm and my alarm volume was turned all the way down. And, oh, and like, I'll wake up and it's still like trying to wake me up, but there's just like no sound, no vibration. I'm like, what is the point? Why would I ever want to set this with no sound? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. There should be a workaround. It should have like a default volume that even if it's down, it just plays at that volume because that's just the dumbest. I, I agree with the separate knob or, or the default volume, you know, because no one wants to wake up to a silent alarm. No. Um, Jerry badgers Elaine about her alarm clock and making sure it's reliable and she's going to wake up on time. And so on and so forth. Jerry's trying to take a real investment in Jean Paul waking up on time for the marathon. Back at Yankee Stadium, George is doing a crossword puzzle and his pen's not working, so he's hitting it on the paper. And Wilhelm sees him doing that and and thinks he's, you know, once again being angry and annoyed at all the work he has to do and stressed out. And he's like, you know, I think you may be taking things too seriously. And George, I love George acting annoyed. It's great. He's like, well, I got a lot to do. And he's like, you know what? Let me give you something that kind of, you know, just to give you a little break. There's uh, people from Houston coming to talk about interleague play. I want you to take them out and show them a good time. And George still looks annoyed at that, uh, you know, that that prospect. But just because he has to, I think. (laughs) Back in Jerry's apartment, Jerry starts berating Elaine because she shows up late for you know, to, to Jerry's apartment. And he's like, well, you know, you said you were going to be somewhere at a certain time and then you're 40 minutes late. And <laughs> Elaine still doesn't seem to be taking the alarm clock as seriously as Jerry wants her to. Um, and so he's very worried about waking up. Meanwhile, uh, Jean-Paul was soaking at Kramer's in the hot tub. And Elaine, uh, who had put a muffin in the microwave, had set the microwave wrong and burnt the, the muffin a little bit. And so Jerry, once again, He's like, well, you you know, once again, you entered the time wrong on something. And so, you know, still very concerned about the wake up. By the way, we got a good shot of Jerry's fridge when Elaine is, you know, defending herself against being woken up. And I noticed on the shot, first of all, there uh, there's a couple of, of magnets that caught my eye. Fritz the cat, the famous uh, cartoon character. There's Skip Barber Racing School. What? Which, yeah, Skip Barber Racing School, there's a big sticker for it that is plastered on the refrigerator. And if you Google Skip Barber Racing School and Seinfeld, you find out that that's what Jerry did for his 40th birthday. He went to this school where you, you know, you can take like three or four days or you can go if like you actually want to be a race car driver for a living. Um, but Jerry seemed to be more in like the, the camp of like, oh, this will just be a fun way to, to turn 40. And you spend a couple <laughs> days learning actually how to drive oh, man. professional like NASCAR style cars. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like a blast. <laughs> he said Jerry was good at it too. And oh also there's the uh, you know the famous pick of Grand Central Station with like the light the beams of light coming through the windows. Uh that's uh, you know a pretty famous picture. And there's a subway map on there as well and also a magnet featuring the cover of Action Comics number 1 which is the first appearance of Superman. It's that famous shot of Superman like throwing the car and so he technically has two Superman magnets on his refrigerator, one of them being this action comics number one so i found that interesting <laughs> that's kind of cool yeah uh kramer offers jerry you know a, a soak in the hot tub and he um and jerry's says he's not gonna you know uh, what does he call it like bacteria soup or something like uh, that he I says forget. he says i'm not taking a soak in that human bacteria frap you got going on there bacteria frap yeah <laughs> 
And why did I write down again? It's been like you know four days or four or five days since I watched the episode. Why did I write down Sweden here? Um, because Kramer says. Oh, because he says yeah. He, he says uh, that he's got the windows open, the cold air is rushing in, the temperature is 120. It's like Sweden there. Yeah, and he goes Sweden <laughs> or something. He says it in a funny way. Uh, over at over at Kramer's, uh, he gets in for a soak, and yeah, for sure the temperature of the water is over 100 degrees. We get a shot of the uh, thermometer in the water at Fitzpatrick's Bar and Grill, which we saw previously in season three, episode 17 and 18, The Boyfriend. This is where Elaine and Keith Hernandez are hanging out. So I looked and it is very close to Yankee Stadium. Mm, so okay. geographic wise, yeah, I, I believe Fitzpatrick's is still in Manhattan, but it's just over the river from uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, so in the Bronx, I believe. And so, um, yeah, it, it's pretty close. And the Houston delegation is there and they're a raucous bunch of dudes. There's three of them, and they call everybody bastard and son of a bitch. And George, <laughs> at first, he's like, you know, he's like, oh god, I can't believe I gotta, you know, go out. But then he he gets into it immediately. He's like, you know, they're like, oh, George, you, you like to drink? He's like, not as much as this son of a bitch, or, or you know, he like he gets into cursing like right away. Uh, you, you see, uh, you see the physical change. He loosens his tie, like adjusts his glasses, <laughs> and that's it. That's that's uh, that's yeah. fun, George. I guess. Yeah, um, and. <laughs> Uh, we get a shot of Kramer's, and the water temperature has dropped to what I saw. Kramer has a different number later, but the number I counted to on the thermometer was fifty-two degrees. I yeah, I, uh, I saw Kramer like, is I saw freezing. like fifty-ish something. Yeah, yeah, it, it's the the water temperature has dropped, and Kramer is is freezing uh, over at Monks. Jerry and Jean-Paul are there, and Jerry wants to put him in a hotel. Jean-Paul refuses because it would be rude to Elaine, who offered him a place to stay. We never get really a backstory about how they connected, do we? No, no, we don't. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it, it's it's an, it's very weird that Elaine just happens to connect with John Paul. Yeah, this Trinidadian and/or Toboggan <laughs> uh, Olympic marathon runner. And yeah, it comes to stay. Like, is there some sort of exchange program or some like prototype Airbnb <laughs> situation? <laughs> you know, some pre-internet Airbnb. God. Like, will you host an Olympian? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. We 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 never find out why. Uh, but George comes in and he explains, you know, he he says, um, you know, I forget whether it's bastard or son of a bitch, one of those things. But, you know, he explains uh, the talk to Jean Paul, who is interested in like these insulting words used as terms of endearment. And Kramer comes in. He's all bundled up trying to get his core temperature up. He's freezing. And I love this line from Jean Paul. He's like, here, feel my hands. And Jean Paul grabs you and goes, this son of a bitch is ice cold. <laughs> Jesus. Just a great delivery. I love that. Uh, over on, we, we get a shot of an airplane here, and the Houston delegation is on there. They're calling from the airplane, which I think was, you know, kind of a big deal in 1995. Like, I remember being on airplanes, and they would, um, you know, they had the phone on the back of the seat, and it was, like, really cool. But also, you wondered why anyone would ever need to make a call, <laughs> like, what kind of flight you would be on, where you would need. And you used to have a credit card slot. So it was like a a little a skinny phone on the back of this plane seat, mm -hmm. and then you you put a credit card in. It would read the credit card. But my parents used to like just kind of like tap their credit card in, so it would release the phone. And so we got to, as kids, we would get to play with the phone and and just sort of you know it didn't work or anything, but it was still you know something to do on an airplane for a couple <laughs> minutes anyway. But you know they're calling from thirty thousand feet and. And George, you know, they're they're yelling at each other, still cursing and stuff like that. And George says, you tell that son of a bitch, no Yankee is coming to Houston as long as you bastards are in charge. And they can't hear him because there's noise on the plane and stuff like that. And so he yells it again as Wilhelm is walking by and Wilhelm <laughs> grabs the phone and, and George, you know, he can't really explain what was going on. But Wilhelm thinks that George was actually cursing them out because of the way he was having to talk eventually. He's like, you tell that son of a bitch, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Over in Elaine's office at 1325 Avenue of the Americas, which is a skyscraper that is still there. And actually, there it does have a bit of publishing uh, going on in there right now. I don't know. I couldn't find anywhere that listed a New York City headquarters for the J. Peterman catalog. Mm. I don't know if it was ever actually headquartered in New York or they even had any offices there. But um, McGraw Hill in 2018 leased about five floors, like 136,000 square feet in this building. So uh, there is some publishing going on there. Mm, okay. And Elaine is trying to write a piece for this Mongolian walking shoe that she's had uh, you know she just hasn't been able to crack the story behind it and she can't come up with anything 
Uh, meanwhile, over in Elaine's building, Jean-Paul runs into Judy with her baby, and he was, and he he calls the baby a cute little bastard. <laughs> and of course, we know that Judy is not married, and so that's more accurate than JP, uh, you know, intended it to be. And the <laughs> landlord comes over and he's like, "Hey, why are you hassling my tenants?" And he's like, "Oh, come on, you son of a bitch!" And the <laughs> landlord throws him out uh, because you know Jean-Paul doesn't have the the cursing as term of endearment quite down. Uh, over in Jerry's apartment, Kramer is still freezing as Jerry and George walk in. He's in Jerry's apartment covered in blankets and he's got Jerry's heat all cranked up and he's ordered an industrial heat pump that actually has been delivered in the meantime since he's been in Jerry's apartment. And he says it's 16,000 BTUs. And I googled uh, hot tub heat pumps and for most even residential hot tubs, the <laughs> lowest I could find was 26,000. Um <laughs> So I think this was probably a joke that they wrote without actually looking up any information on, or, or maybe, on hot tub heat pumps. Or maybe just hot tub heat pumps have gotten so much better in in the last 25 years. Yeah, not not more efficient, I guess. Although I don't know if more BTUs can be, like if 26,000 BTUs can be more efficient than 16,000 BTUs. But yeah, maybe they've just gotten more powerful. And maybe with more BTUs, you don't need as much power to get them as hot. I don't know. Maybe who but knows? For sure, an, an industrial heat pump, I would imagine, would be a lot more than sixteen thousand. But yeah, maybe heat pump technology has just gotten better. <laughs> and Jean Paul calls Jerry to let him let him know that he's been kicked out of the building and that Jerry has been called up. And George and Jerry are both very excited about this prospect. <laughs> Over at uh, Hotel Bedford, which is still there, sort of. Uh, Hotel Bedford is closed. It is at. 118 East 40th Street and it did look really nice for like this is the kind of hotel that I would probably stay at if I was looking at hotels in the area uh, because like one review that I found for Hotel Bedford was like 225 for a one bedroom suite like no frills but when I'm looking for a room in New York City I'm looking for location and like that's it yeah. I don't need anything in the room because we're not going to be spending any time there yeah you know? exactly and and what and the room that Jerry and John Paul are in looked accurate as far as like the pictures that I saw of Hotel Bedford. You know, I was like, oh, that that's kind of what they actually look like. <laughs> it's like they're kind of small, nothing there except the bed. You know, um, now it's the Renwick Hotel, which is a Hilton property, okay. and there's a lot of frills. Mm. Uh, if, if Hotel Bedford was no frills, this is full of frills. But and I don't know if this is a, a result of the pandemic, but the prices are very reasonable. Mm, um, okay. Essentially, like, yeah, like the same prices. Like, you can get a really nice suite. I looked at like December 18th to the 20th. I just picked a random weekend uh, sometime in the future. And you can get a really nice suite for like 217 like plus this weird $35 fee. I don't know what the deal with that is, but hmm. it's uh, it's super nice and affordable if you're looking to go to New York right now. I don't know if, it, if it's any different again outside of a pandemic, but it still looks pretty nice. And Jerry checks the clock. He asks uh, Jean-Paul what he wants to wake up to. They settle on adult contempo. Jean-Paul is like, uh, he's getting pretty pissed at this point. Like, he just wants to get yeah. to sleep. <laughs> he needs his rest before his, his big race, the first big race since the that fateful Olympics. And then Jerry's like, all right, we set the alarm. Now it's time for the wake-up call. And Jerry is very insistent with the guy. And the wake-up call guy gets a little snippy. You know, with like, he's like, it's my job to, I, I treat all my wake ups equal. I, they're all important to me. And he like, you know, they, he gets snippy and he hangs up and Jerry's like, just not comfortable. He's like, I, I offended the wake up guy. I'm not comfortable with this. And so John Paul and Jerry get up and they check out of the hotel. Uh, imagine, uh, imagine being the guy arguing, Hey, all wake up calls matter. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would have been worried, too. I mean, they did a great job in this little scene of, of making it seem like the guy might, just to teach Jerry a lesson, not actually wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> Over at Elaine, she comes home, and there's no Jean-Paul. So she calls and leaves a message for Jerry that she's got to go out and look for him. He's in the city alone. This is another yet another time. We talked about this on, on the donut bag, where cell phones would have just come in so handy. Oh, my God. You know, if yeah. Jean-Paul had one or if Jerry had one. And Elaine had one. It would have been so easy to just send a text like, John Paul's with me. We're checking into Hotel Bedford or whatever. Uh, and so Elaine knocks on Judy's door. And Judy is super angry that Elaine told somebody about the baby. And Elaine's like, I didn't tell anybody. And, you know, yeah, it, here's, because of what John Paul said. Here's my gripe. Okay. So Judy is pushing around a stroller. And she's upset that people know that she has a baby. Um, 
like out she, of wedlock. I, I I guess not. She never mentioned out of wedlock. She's upset that people found out that she had a baby. That that that's... I don't think that's the case. I think she's upset that people found out she had a baby out of wedlock. I I guess that's not what she said though. So I I took I took it to just mean like, lady, people are gonna know the baby exists. You're pushing around a stroller. What does she say? She says your friend knew that I had a baby. She she never says anything about out of wedlock. She never says anything about. A husband, a boyfriend, a partner, anything. It's just a baby. Yeah. What Does she say, like, here, hang on, I'm going to... Go to that instant replay. Uh, whoops. Oh, um, you've got some nerve, Elaine. I told you about that baby in confidence. Oh, I didn't tell anyone. Well, the friend, your friend certainly seemed to know all about it, and then she shuts the door. That's it, so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess I could see, but, I mean, I definitely took it to mean since Elaine said, don't tell anyone that she has a baby. She says, don't tell anyone that um, at the beginning... <laughs> Hang on, now let, me, now let me go back to the beginning. <laughs> uh, also, Dan, I'm saying I, that baby and calling the baby it. Super, super <laughs> loving there. Wow. I didn't know she was married. She's not. The guy just took off, makes a sad face. Don't say anything to anybody. So, yeah. And then the fact that, so it's, I still took it to mean like, you know, I told you about that baby in confidence to mean, you know, I told you. You know, he he called it a bastard. Okay, he called uh, yeah, the baby a bastard. That is know? true. That is true. I did. I didn't pick up on that the first time. So okay. Yeah, and that's why she's so angry at Elaine, and then she she shuts the door. <laughs> well, your friends certainly seem to know all about it, and Elaine goes Jerry and runs <laughs> uh, back into her own apartment. Over in Jerry's apartment, Jerry and John Paul show up. Um, we get a great look at Kramer's apartment in this scene as he is like setting up his hot tub and there are some good looks at, at Kramer's apartment. I forgot that we got such an inside look. I was just so used to seeing that wall behind his door and like that's all we see, you know, but we, we do get a good look at, at a bunch of stuff and uh, he's setting up the industrial heat pump and Jerry's like, hey, listen, set your mental alarm for 630 and Kramer closes his eyes for a second then makes a popping sound with his mouth and, <laughs> and that's it. Mental set. I want to give credit to my wife who's watching this episode with me. At this point, she's like, I know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> What'd she say? Did she, she, did she tell you what, what she, she thought? Uh, she said, Kramer's hot tub is going to kill the power for the whole building and they're not going to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like I'm like, have you seen this before? And she's like, no. <laughs> Yeah. So out on the streets, Lane is haunted by the voice of, of Jerry and Jean-Paul, and she starts narrating her journey down the block. And then she has a breakthrough regarding the Himalayan walking shoes and what she's going to write about them. My 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 back is tired. My feet are doing great. Whatever she says. There. I, I think she's like, my spirit is broken. My back is sore. My feet are relentless or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks to my Himalayan walking shoes. <laughs> and so uh, victory for Elaine. Um, up in Jerry's apartment, he set two alarms. There's two alarms right by Jean-Paul's head on the couch. And, of course, as you just referenced, the heat pump shorts out all the electricity in the building. Jerry wakes up at 847, Ugh. and he runs over to Kramer's. What happened to your mental alarm? Uh, I guess I hit the snooze. <laughs> I like that. And... Jerry, oh, Jerry, pu I like Jerry pushes down Kramer. It, you know, he gets pushed down by Jerry, which was which was like really funny. Um, over at the uh, New York City Marathon, Jean Paul makes it just in time to like run onto the the course, and they let him through because he's got a number. Um, over in Steinbrenner's, he's talking to George about you know how, how stressed out he is, and says that he needs a good soak in a hot tub. That's what George Steinbrenner suggests to George. Uh, back at the race, the gang. Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer are standing there at the side of the race, and in addition to them handing out cups of water, in the exact same type of cup, Kramer is pouring hot tea, still trying to get his core temperature up, <laughs> and Jean-Paul grabs Kramer's tea, thinking it's water, and pours it all over himself, uh, as runners tend to do, and screams from off camera. We get one, uh, one last little scene, and George is sitting in a hot tub with St uh, George Steinbrenner, who is still babbling and George puts his head under in the hot tub, and that's the end of it. And are you supposed to put your head under in a hot tub? I've always heard that that, like, boils your brain. Really? I didn't know that. Isn't that dangerous? I don't know. To, like, go underwater in a hot tub? I don't know about that. I, I think that's an urban legend. All right, I'm going to write this down. Head under water <laughs> hot tub. I'm going to see if there's any danger in Yeah, maybe it was an old an old urban legend. You're not supposed to put your head underwater, but that's how, that's what I always heard. I've always been scared to do it. Okay, so in addition to putting your head underwater in a hot tub, what else do we have for homework this week? What you call someone from Trinidad and Tobago. Okay, is that it? 
I think so. Okay. I don't think there was anything else, right? I, yeah. I don't believe so. It? All right. What do you like visually about this episode for cover art? Hmm. I mean, it, it's called the hot tub. So Kramer in the hot tub is is um is nice. Maybe the the three. There's probably a good shot of the three at the very end, like leaning over the the that railing, the the stanchion at the race. Okay. Um. What? Else? What were you? What are you thinking? Uh, I was thinking there's uh, one scene, I think it's like where Kramer is getting cozy and the hot tub is just over 100 degrees. And uh, like one one thing in there caught my eye. I can't even remember exactly what it was. Yeah, that, that sounds good too. Yeah, um, I guess that's pretty much it. And for all the talk that I had about George being the main character of Seinfeld, this was a very George light episode. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a lot going on. I loved his storyline, but it was definitely in, in a show that we can't pick out the B story a lot of times. <laughs> that was the B story. Uh, okay, do you want to try and come up with a better description? We can try. I don't think we're going to succeed. So we had Elaine's house guest arrives for the city's marathon, semicolon, Kramer gets a hot tub. I think it's perfect. I like it. I mean, it's it it, it perfectly sums up what's going to happen without giving anything away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what these are supposed to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that sounds like one that we would have written because it has like a semicolon. It does. You know, it, was like, it does. That's that's something I love to do. I'm like, no, we have to include something about Kramer because it's important. <laughs> like for for a while, we were on a real semicolon kick. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> semicolon. Yeah. Uh, okay, so next week we've got season seven, episode six, the Soup Nazi. Original this air is date, it, people. Original air date, October 2nd, 1995. I think that's right. I think I wrote down the right date. Uh, no, I wrote down the wrong date. October 20-something. Um, do you happen to have it near you? I don't. Okay, it's, it's October 20-something, 1995. Uh, <laughs> and if you're looking in TV Guide uh, in, in that stretch of 10 days in October of 1995, you are going to see <laughs> Jerry's favorite soup vendor won't serve his new girlfriend, parenthetical alexandra wentworth interesting that's a lot of information i bet we can make that better but um i have wikipedia says november 2nd 1995 11 to 95 okay that's probably it i might have just uh, mistakenly wrote 10 to yeah i'm seeing that uh seeing that a lot of places so yeah i mean this is it this is we're gonna see if another one of these iconic episodes actually lives up to its legacy um i i have high hopes and you know what i actually starred this episode I felt like I was kind of rushing through it, but at the time, because I, I, I blame that on it being four days since I saw the episode. Like I've already, <laughs> I, I've slept since then, you know. And so, but I was forgetting how much I, what I loved about it. But I, I remember when I was watching it, just laughing a lot. And 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 I think this may be the first episode that I've starred in season seven. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to stand the test of of the the whole season, but I was having a very good time with it. I liked how neurotic Jerry was getting about the alarm and how he kept badgering Elaine about it. And then when he finally took over it, it still went wrong. And, and even the physical comedy at the end where he shoves Kramer down and he like slips and, and falls and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I started it and uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see at the end of the season if it, if it remains a star episode. And is that it? I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.